We thank you for the richness of your word and pray that you would bless to our hearts these thoughts from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you can see, our th thoughts this morning are going to turn to the idea of Christian senses. And uh, I suppose that an infant crawling around on the floor is in sort of a state of sensory overload and isn't particularly conscious of, of all of the data that's coming into the brain from all of the senses. But uh, by the time you get into what used to be called kindergarten or primary, they start teaching kids about their, their five senses. And it is interesting that these five senses all have uh, biblical analogs. In other words, it's uh, appropriate to talk about the five senses of the Christian in the biblical sense. Um, if I cannot advance this, oh, I just touched it and it worked. It did work. I was told it wasn't going to work. I'm very relieved. So, if we think about these five senses, of course, we all know what they are. I wonder what the order of importance should be. I suppose most people would say that if they had to give up one of their senses, the one that they perhaps would be least willing to give up would be our sense of sight. Hearing, very important. Touch, smell, and taste that are together because, of course, um, if you are a child and you have something in front of you that you don't like to eat, it actually helps to block your nose and eat it anyway because mom said so. And that is because, of course, our um, sense of taste is linked to our sense of smell. It is interesting that all of these senses are used metaphorically, perhaps, you could use that word, in the Bible. And um, that is kind of a, a word from literature. And I think that maybe... Uh, a better word is analog. They're all presented in the Bible as having analogs in the realm of things spiritual. You know, I believe that God as a moral and infinite God could have actually created other universes with other physical laws. But the, the, the reality of holiness and the reality of what is righteous and what is unrighteous and what is good and what is evil, that would never change because that goes back to the very nature of God. The nature of God never changes. So the moral aspect of creation is actually, it can be readily argued, the higher reality. We happen to experience gravity and electromagnetism. That is because God built that into our creation. But he was at, at liberty to do as he saw fit in terms of our physical creation. The higher reality is the spiritual reality. And I find it very interesting that as I look through the Bible for the analogs, for that, if you will, other reality in terms of senses, they all exist. They are all, all talked about. That's very interesting. To the point that you can read in Hebrews 5.14, but strong meat belongs to them that are, full of a, uh, that are of full age. Even to those... This is working. Oh, I see. Thank you. To the point that Hebrews 5.14 actually refers to these 
Christian senses, these spiritual senses, but strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Isn't that interesting? How developed are your spiritual sensitivities? How developed is your discernment? Seeing with your eyes is one thing. Discerning righteousness from unrighteousness, discerning what is good from what is not good, that, as the scripture teaches us here, is through the development of our other set of senses. What about the first one? It's interesting that um, that is actually already very much a metaphor in the English language so that we, would see, we can say things like, oh, I see, and that just means, yeah, I get it. Uh, we might say that, you know, he perceived that his wife was annoyed with him. Well, that combines the idea that he noticed something about the fact that his wife seems to be annoyed with him, but he's also interpreting that and, and, and uh, understanding what he's seeing, perception. Let's take it a little bit more to a spiritual realm, talking about sight and light, the place of the Lord Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Later, Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. This is not talking about physical darkness. This is obviously talking about spiritual darkness and spiritual light and the perception thereof. Years later, the Apostle Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, would write of the need and of, the, of his desire that the Christians in the Ephesian church would develop their spiritual sight. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The eyes of your understanding. In fact, the original says the, the eyes of your heart. You have eyes in your head. There are eyes in your heart. There are things that you can perceive in your heart in the spiritual realm. And Paul prayed that the Ephesian Christians would develop that kind of discernment not only, as it said in Hebrews, to distinguish between what's beneficial and not beneficial and good and not good, but to rejoice, to have a sense of joy in what our riches are in Christ. Do you see these things? Do you know these things? Are these things just as real to you as your daily physical reality? In fact, they are more real. They are more important than the physical re reality that you can see around you. I think another reason that we need to be able to see things in this way is the resources, to be aware of the resources that are at our disposal. Tri big, press big triangle three times. got it. Now this is an account from the book of 2 Kings and it I think it saved my click. Oh, 
it's there. This is an account from the book of 2 Kings, and I, and I love this account because it reminds the child of God that things are not always what they seem to be. Let's just read this. 2 Kings 6, 14. Therefore sent he hither the horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom ye seek. But he led them to Samaria. I think sometimes as Christians we get discouraged and we lack the perception that those who are with us are greater and more than those that are against us. We can have that encouragement in our lives that the Lord's power and the Lord's presence is greater and more present than the obvious circumstances that we can see with our two eyes. I see here a beautiful contrast, a beautiful comparison between John chapter 9 and 2 Kings chapter 6. I love John chapter 9 very much because you have a man who was born blind and he's taken before the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, all these learned people, because they just can't accept that this guy has been born blind. And when the man who has been healed perceives this, he says, you know, this is an amazing thing that I was born blind and that now I see and you don't know where Jesus is from. That is an amazing thing. <laughs> and they, what did they say? You are born in sin. Don't teach us. Get out of here. Un unable to accept that spiritual reality. So what you have in John 9 is a man in need of physical sight having the perception of who the Lord Jesus is. He was, I think, to be a true child of God. He needed physical sight and in keeping with Isaiah 29 and 42 and 35, all that incident, that healing, that physical sight, never been done before. Even this man, this uneducated man, he knew that that meant that Jesus was the promised Messiah because he now had physical sight. What you have in 2 Kings is an earthly ch child of God. He has physical sight. He needs spiritual sight. And the gift of that by Elijah's prayer, I think, it foreshadows Hebrews chapter 12, those first three verses. These are verses for the Christian. 
coming at the end of a book that's full of deep theology and deep typology. Hebrews 12, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high, or as it says here in the King James, on the throne of God, and consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Do you have that perception? Do you have your eyes on Christ, who is the one who went before you to secure redemp your redemption? I don't want to extend the analogy too far, but I love it that there is, as it were, a great cloud of witnesses. Have you ever thought about that? Things are, as has as, as often been said sort of in common parlance and conversation, things are rarely as bad as they seem. To, you, to our sight, sometimes things seem very grim, but they actually aren't that bad. We need to have the eyes of our hearts to see things from God's point of view. Hearing, oops, back, hearing. The metaphor or analogy of uh, hearing in the same way that we might say I see, and it means I understand, this too is already in our language. We sometimes would say um, his calling was medicine, and therefore this poor doctor is on call all the time, right? It's a manner of speaking. Those poor doctors, those poor young doctors we've been hearing in the media how they never get any sleep and then they still have to treat us. It's kind of scary, I guess. But you know something? Do you know the Lord? Do you belong to Him? You're on call. You're on call 24-7. That's the reality for you. I hope you have that attitude of heart that not only the eyes of your heart have the right focus, but you're listening, that your ears are tuned to the right voice and you're following the Lord's will in your life. 1 Peter 2.9 talks about this and, and uh, so does Exodus 21 in type. Listen to this, 1 Peter 2.9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a juxtaposition of spiritual calling to be called and coming into the light out of the darkness, the two things together in a, in a wonderful verse in 1 Peter 2. I wonder what you would think of this uh, typological picture of having the ear. In Exodus 21, you can read about the servant whose time of uh, servitude has come to an end, and he has, in fact, served with this master for long enough that 
he has children. He has a wife and he has a children and he works in his master's house. And he comes to a point of decision. And the point of decision is, am I going to stay with this master? And what is his response? If he says, I love my master. I love my master. Okay, let's seal this. Come over here to this door frame. Here's an awl. Here's a hammer. Your ear goes up against the door. Bang! Right through his ear. Does the Lord have your ear? Is he your master that you serve out of love? If he is, he sh your ear should always be his. You should always be on call. You should always be listening for his guidance and his voice, as it were. So it says in Exodus 21, And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Forever. The Lord Jesus, the redemption that is ours in him is a forever redemption. I hope that we can say that because of that, we love him, and we are going to love him forever, and we are going to serve him forever. Should he not then have our ear? I hope so. I hope so. The sense of touch. How do we sometimes in our English language use the idea of touch in a metaphorical way? Well, it's already there. We might say that you heard a eulogy at a funeral and you were touched by that eulogy. It's, a, it's almost a palpable thing in your heart to be touched. Someone who can play the cello very well, maybe a grand master of playing the cello, and when they touch that cello, they can make it do things that only a master can, can accomplish with that musical instrument. Or... We might say that someone needs the master's touch. Maybe what they need is the master's touch with a capital M. They need the Lord Jesus to touch them. We have an example of that in Luke. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and thou sayest, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, falling down before him, and declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. Healed by the, just touching the Lord Jesus Christ. In the more um, perhaps spiritual realm, Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The Lord Jesus 
has that concern and that touch for us. We know from Isaiah and Jeremiah that Isaiah, when he was confronted in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what was his, what was his response? I am unclean, and I live amongst the people who are unclean. And what was the action of God to bring to him to his lips, to be touched, to be cleansed. That is what we need. I fear all too often the things that we say are not appropriate. We need that cleansing. We need that touch. We need, in fact, all of our lives to be touched by the Lord Jesus Christ, to have that change made in our lives. The two verses are, And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And in Jeremiah, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put words in thy mouth. This evening, John Wells is going to be speaking about witnessing. Do you want to tell somebody about the Lord, how the Lord has changed your heart and given you a new view on life? Oh, but I don't know what to say. Well, I think the Lord can help you with that. The Lord can help us to know what to say. I have to turn around because the... What about the sense of smell? Well, that too is already used idiomatically in our language. We might say, I smell a rat. It doesn't necessarily mean you smell an actual rodent. It means there's something not so good here. There's something crawling around that's not so good. Things are not what they seem. I smell a rat. Like many sensory experiences, it seems to me that um, the sense of smell is hard to describe in absolute terms. You, if you, somebody says, well, what does that smell like? They say, oh, well, it smells like a rose or it smells like smoke or, well, I didn't ask you what it, I, I want to know. Can you describe in fundamental terms what something smells you, you often have to use something else in order to describe what something smells like. There is a sort of an intangibility to this. Sometimes I was, I was listening to someone who um, came into a room and was describing someone who was dying in a hospital bed, and on that person was a tremendous appearance and sense around that person and with that person of peace, of peace. That's a wonderful thing to have. To have that, as it were, aura. That Christian aura. There are some words that seem to be passing out of the English language. When was the last time you heard the word demeanor? He has a Christian demeanor. These things are almost disappearing from our ordinary concept of behavior. I think there, it, is, it is good and it is appropriate and it is a challenge to the Christian to carry a demeanor which speaks of Christ, which reminds us of Christ, almost like a good smell. And in fact, that's what the scripture says. In the spiritual realm, what do you smell like? Ken and I went hunting for four days, didn't take a bath for four days. 
get up in the morning, how you doing, brother? They don't talk about what the other guy smells like. <laughs> but anyway, the wives aren't around, so what difference? But with your Christian demeanor, with your Christian character, does it remind people of Christ? When you come into a room, into a meeting, do people go, here comes the wet blanket. Here comes the guy that sees the bad side of everything and has nothing constructive to say. Here's the guy who looks at life from the dark side and pokes holes in everything and criticizes everything. What kind of a fragrance is he bringing into the room, so to speak? Not so great. Not so great. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the Savior, Osman, uh, from which uh, cosmetics, the Savior, the fragrance, the Osman, of his knowledge by us in every place. Do you kind of have a Christian fragrance to you? That's something to think about. That's, something to, that's a challenge for us to think about. And we are imitating the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 2, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Euodius, it's literally a good smell, sweet-smelling. We are imitating the Lord Jesus Christ in that. Manually advance the, okay, taste, taste. Again, taste as a, uh, as a metaphorical thing is already in the English language. We might say, um, let's give him a taste of his own medicine. We, we know that, for example, the idea of bitterness. Bitterness is, a, is an alkaloid. Very often things that are bitter are poisonous. That's because of the alkaloids making the taste bitter. But we also know that you can have bitterness in your heart. You can have bitterness in your life. Something that it's like, an af it's like a bad aftertaste from an old bad experience that you never let go of. Oh, dear. What are you holding on to that for? That's sad. The scripture doesn't teach us to hold on to bitter things. Not at all. What does the scripture teach? Oops, I didn't realize I got everything all at once. The scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Is that your experience? Do you taste, as it were, the Lord every day and have that inner experience of the presence of God and of the blessing of God in your heart and in your life every day? How was that accomplished? How was that achieved? Because the Lord Jesus tasted death for you. That's why and how you can taste, as it were, him and experience him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glo glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man, for you and I. In fact, he tasted it, he swallowed it. The death that was yours, the death that was mine, he swallowed it. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. In our day-to-day -day walks, 
death is everywhere. One of the thrusts of scripture is that not only does physical death come as a result of sin, but that death means broken relationships. Broken relationships everywhere. It's endemic. It's an epidemic, a spiritual epidemic of broken relationships. That is death. That is the working of death. Does someone insult you? Does someone treat you badly and speak to you harshly? That's merely the ongoing principle of death working in the world. But you know what? The Lord Jesus swallowed all of that. And you need not be put off or offended or thrown for a loop. The Lord Jesus took it. Allow him to take it. Allow him to take it away. He swallowed it up. He took it away. You don't need to respond in kind. Your Savior swallowed up this death thing. And you can respond because you know him. You have him in your heart. You understand what it means to be in a relationship with the Lord God. I like this final image of the redeemed life. The redeemed life taken from Leviticus 14. It tells us about everything kind of in your life being redeemed, being touched, being affected. The oil is a picture in the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit. And look what happens here. And the blood, of course, speaking of redemption, Leviticus 14, and he shall kill the lamb of the trespass offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and put it on the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. And the priest shall pour of the oil into the palm of his own left hand, and the priest shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put of the oil that is in his hand upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of the right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot, upon the place of the blood of the trespass offering. First, you need to be redeemed. Then, the Holy Spirit can affect your whole life, from your head to your toe, where you go, what you do, what you take in. These things need to be redeemed, and they need to be controlled and blessed by God's Spirit. And so we have, at the very end, the verse that I had at the beginning. Hebrews 5.14, But strong, strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I trust that the Lord will bless these thoughts to your heart. And as you go out into the world in the week, may you not be overwhelmed with your five physical senses, with the mundane only. Of course, we do our jobs, we do what we must do. But may the Lord engrace you and empower you to see things as they really are, to understand what is the most important, to understand the spiritual dimension to all of our interactions. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you that by your Spirit we can understand, we can see, 
We can be called. We can be touched. Help us, Father, to be people who are open to these things, who readily not only admit but know that you are real, that you are here, that you are with us. We thank you that we have had a time of reflection upon your word. We pray that if there's anyone here who knows none of these things, that these concepts and these experiences and this reality is a foreign entity to someone here. May that person come to know that the Lord Jesus brings true redemption and that by your spirit we can have life and have it more abundantly. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought we would sing from